Aloha, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. My guest and director of scouting for NBA Big Board, Rafael Barlow, is with us, coming to us live from Italy uh, today as he's out scouting some under-16 draft prospects right now. We're going to talk about our biggest disappointments, especially among the young players in this draft, guys that we thought were going to be lottery picks who have really struggled this season. Here we go. All right, he's Rafael Barlow. I'm Chad Ford. We together are posting articles almost every day over at nbabigboard.com. Rafael, this week with great video scouting breakdowns of Paulo Bancaro, the guy he says should be the number one pick in the NBA draft. I disagree with him. I have him number four, but Rafael makes a really strong argument uh, about that. He also does uh, Ochai Abaji. He's a Kansas player, which normally means I'm all over him because Kansas is my favorite college basketball team. But I've, I've been a little bit skeptical because of his age and his senior. Rafael makes a compelling case why he might be this year's Desmond Bain. You can check that out over at NBABigBoard.com. I went another 10 under 25 because people were so unsatisfied with the top 25 under 25 that I gave another 10 and people still weren't satisfied, which just means that there's a lot of great young players in this league right now. And the future of the league looks really great. If if we're at 35 and people are still complaining, this guy's going to be an all-star leagues in good, in good shape. And uh, I also did some late risers uh, from college basketball, four freshmen, one sophomore and, and John Butler is the guy of that group. And you can go read it over at nbabigboard.com. That's the most intriguing to me out of Florida State. He's 7 190, so kind of the same frame as a Chet Holmgren. But uh, shooting 40% from three, stretches the floor, moves like a guard. Actually, laterally uh, is, is, is much more fluid than Chet is even there. Doesn't have the same role, not the same experience, younger uh, than Chet. And he's one of the guys that NBA teams are looking at as a potential first-round pick. Uh, you can go look at all those guys that I had listed uh, over there, again, at nbabigboard.com. Subscribe today. But we're going to talk about something we didn't write about. But we've been sort of writing about it all year, which is that we had some high expectations for some young plot prospects at the top of the draft. And they've let us down. Or... Our scouting reports were totally wrong, right? Uh, maybe it's not them. Maybe it's us, right? Uh, but there was a lot of people that also thought really highly of these guys. And so, Rafael, I'm just going to kick it off of the of the young guys, either the young international players or the young freshmen uh, in college basketball. Which one was the biggest disappointment this year? Which one has got you the most sort of confused about how you projected him before the season began to where they stand right now? I'm going to go with Patrick Baldwin Jr. I mean, I didn't have him ranked as high as as Sosa, but Sosa's been injured. But Baldwin Jr., the numbers are are really brutal. 34% from the floor, 26% from three. He's only played 11 games. And, um, you know, he looks the part. Like, if you watch him, watch his film, you see his size, you see the skills and how he moves. And you, you think like, all right, he should be able to dominate mid-major competition. And I think the injuries are, are a big concern also. And then I just saw yesterday they released his father from his head coaching duties. So now, I mean, I don't know how many games are left in, in the year, but is he even going to play in the conference tournament? No, I think they're done. I think the conference tournament, they, they got booted in the first round. Their conference summit league or uh, the Horizon League's conference tournament uh, – I think went down on Monday. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're done. Patrick Baldwin is done. College career over loving games. You know, it's interesting. I didn't, I didn't like him as much as other guys. So he, he probably isn't my biggest disappointment, but he's the young prospect that I like the least because of what has, has gone down. I I'm probably more down on him than you and a lot of other guys because to me, okay, I get it. Injuries, that's part of the deal. I also get that he chose to play for his father, and I'm sure there was a lot of internal pressure to make that happen and, and play on a team that isn't really loaded with, uh, with other prospects uh, in, the, in the Horizon League. But there's two things that I expected, and neither of them happened. One is, normally, 
when we talk about a lottery prospect playing in a mid-major, is even is Horizon League is Milwaukee even a mid-major or I don't even know that they're a mid-major. Like you know, maybe they might be like a low major or, or what is that a mid-minor? I, I don't know what what you want to call <laughs> a it. Low mid-major. <laughs> yeah, low mid-major. I can't think of a player that has played in that level that we have touted as an all-star or not an all-star, but a lottery pick that has sucked. Um, you know, you, you, it's normally they're putting up monster numbers and you're trying to actually decide, do those numbers matter? Like what would those numbers have looked like in the ACC or the SEC against better competition or whatever? His numbers were better in the Horizon League than they were when he played, uh, you know, bigger conferences. Uh, but they, they weren't that much better. And so that's that's one thing. Like, he he didn't dominate lesser competition. I've heard the arguments, well, he didn't have any teammates. It was a terrible team. They didn't have guards to gain the ball. They were relying on him to create his own, own shot, which is not his strength. You know, I, I've heard those excuses. But when you're playing at that level and you can't dominate and you're going to go now step up into the NBA and suddenly all is going to be good. The second thing was under the under-19 tournament that he played at, he also wasn't very good at um, this year uh, coming in. So it wasn't like he lit it up in the under-19s. And then the effort on the defensive end. Just at times it seemed like he gave up and just was not playing hard. And if there's like one thing that, drives me crazy and a lot of NBA scouts crazy is at the very minimum when scouts are in the seats watching you play play your butt off even if your team's losing by 30 points keep playing and 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 keep playing hard and and I think that those three things together combine to say okay he's tall he can shoot the basketball though he didn't shoot it particularly well you know this season um but is the competitive fire there? Is the development there? I got a lot of questions. I'm not sure that, I, I'm just being honest, that I would touch him in the first round. I don't think that's reflective of where NBA scouts have him, where I think he's in the teens or 20s, kind of on, on a lot of boards there. I, 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 that's my concern. Are you that concerned about Patrick Baldwin? Yeah, I, I started I just threw the guy under the bus. The... Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's, you know, that's what people are, are you know, they, they not saying people want to hear that, but I mean, I think people want to hear honest opinions. And for me, I started having concerns at the under 19s. He took 44 shots and 28 were threes. And then I, I look at him this season and it, it's like right around 50 percent. It's anywhere between 45 and 50 percent of his attempts are threes. And he's still not knocking them down. And then as far as like the argument about his teammates, I'm kind of in the the mind frame that college is the one opportunity where you get to pick your teammates unless you're like a free agent. So when you pick your teammates in college, you kind of know what you're getting into. You can see the roster unless there were some last minute changes or someone transferred. But I think you kind of know the roster going in. And if you're relying on someone to get you the ball, and if you look at the roster and it's like, well, we don't have a distributor, then, I mean, you're you're putting yourself in a bad situation. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just a, a rough situation for him. Um, there's some injury concerns. I guess the ankle injury that he had throughout the season, I guess he had that in high school also. It, it almost makes me wonder how much money did he cost himself by – suiting up this year if he does a shade and sharp or Darius Baisley he might be a lottery pick yeah I think he would be I think that was the expectation coming in um, but now everybody questions what one is he as good a shooter as we thought he was in high school uh, two who does he defend what does he even desire to defend is there any any fire there the consistent injuries I, I will give him a pass on the pick your teammates thing because I, I again I'm not, I wasn't there but playing for your dad we don't know what the pressure was we don't know what the family dynamic was we this is an unusual case where a college player likely received significant pressure to family pressure to play to play for dad and uh, I don't think all of these young people it's just a total free choice for them I think, think there's a lot of people in their ears and pressuring them and different things like that and 
And, and so I'm going to give him a pass there that, that that may have been dad's, what dad should have done for his son is say, son, you need to go, you know, play at Duke or Kansas or, or what have you. But it, but I don't know. Maybe his dad knew something that we didn't know, which is that if he would have been there, maybe he really would have been exposed, right? Like I, Yeah. I saw both sides. Because so I thought, okay, well, maybe nobody knows your game like your dad, and your dad is going to put you in the best situation. We've all seen the nepotism in Coach Son's situation, so maybe we thought that was or, or they thought that was going to be the situation. But either way, I mean – it really costs both of them. I mean, it costs uh, the son uh, draft slots, and you know that equals millions of dollars. And 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 the dad is no longer coaching, so um, it was just a decision that backfired for both of them. Okay, here's mine, Yannick Zosa. I knew it was coming. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Because look, I'm gonna be honest. I wrote a column about guys who could be the potential number one pick in the draft this year, and he was on it. And uh, I had some international scouts that had really got me hyped on him. Uh, I actually talked to one of his teammates uh, who uh, had had some experience in the NBA who also was incredibly high on him. And then I, I'm going to take credit myself. I watched video. I, I watched what was breakdown. I watched a great Rafael Barlow video on him. And I thought this guy could be a candidate for defensive player of the year down the road in his NBA career. Like I, th- I thought that that was his his ceiling. And we knew that his offensive game was a question mark. But given how young he was and the success that he was already having in one of the maybe the best league in international basketball in the ACB, I expected a big year out of him. It was Raphael that actually raised the first red flags for me on a podcast before the season man they um they brought in was it michael eric michael eric yeah yeah michael eric i'm not sure he's going to play the same role then we find out that there was an injury that kind of happened over the over the summer that he was still recovering from and wasn't there and those two things got him off the slow start but i'm going to be honest i kept expecting him to recover i kept expecting at some point he's going to get fully healthy the, the talent's too good. He's gonna he's gonna pop, and you know there's still time, I guess, for that. But it it hasn't really materialized right now. And I'm gonna be honest, like I don't know what to do, Raphael, because when you see a player his size with his motor and his agility, uh, and speed, I and, and yeah, and just speed, like I I want to say like he's gonna get it. At some point, he also has an incredible backstory. Incredibly resilient. His whole his whole story is is really incredible, and that and that this is a bad situation combined with an injury that has thrown him off. But you can make the same argument about Patrick Baldwin, and and I just I got I just trashed Patrick Baldwin for five minutes, and now I'm like still saying like I still believe in 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 Yannick Zosa, and I and I kind of do. And scouts seem to be and talking to them a little bit all over the place. Some people are like, this guy, if this guy ends up in the 20s or 30s, this is the steal of steals. Uh, if if we can get him and get him in the G League and really develop him. And there's other players that say, look, sometimes guys peak and and maybe he's peaked and he's maxed out what he is and this is and this is what he is. That's tough to say when he's one of the youngest prospects in the draft, but you're the international expert. Help me out here. Where, what, what is this guy's ceiling of, where is it now? Well, one of the things that you said that is a big debate is when people say that he's peaked. You look at his age, you see he's 18 years old, but he looks older than 18. So you're starting to get people saying, actually, how old is he? You know, there's a stereotype with, with African prospects and, and their age and the legitimacy of their birth records or, or whatever. And that doesn't help him out. Um, but like you said, I mean... He just looks like two different players from last year and this year. It looks like if you would have reversed them and said, okay, this the footage from this year was his first year playing and he's made strides, then we're talking about a guy that's a top five pick. But I don't know how bad the injury was. He's shooting less than 40% from the floor the last time I checked. And he's a 6'11". Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and... Um, the steals know. and blocks are kind of okay, right? Like there's some defensive numbers that are starting to turn. I call them green, but like from red to green, like, you know, they're a concern to like, oh, okay, they're, 
they're positive, but the offensive numbers are atrocious. And, uh, and I don't know what his agent does. Like, I don't know if his agent like believes in him and says, I'm going to leave him another year and hopefully he'll get in a better role. Is it better for him to take a hit in the draft and come over play for a G league team? Or frankly, if he gets drafted by the thunder, he'll probably be in the starting lineup. And, uh, you, you you know and get and get minutes there like i i wouldn't even know what the right answer for him is because it, it's been such a bad season what will teams ultimately come to conclusion about him if he enters the draft i i, I don't know what would be your advice because it's dicey yeah, to come that. back to spain yeah and michael eric's hurt now and the, I, I was expecting a, a bump in the numbers I, I haven't seen it, <laughs> so I don't, I don't, I don't know either. Um, you know, it's luckily, I guess, for a, a general manager, if you draft him where he's projected to go, then if he doesn't pan out, you're not going to lose your job over it. While if he was selected in the top five, then then that makes it a lot harder. So I mean, I think he's just at this point, he's a high reward, a low risk draft pick, and. Um, I feel like with this draft between 15 and 35, there's such a a wide gap. And then I, I feel like some of the guys that we're probably going to talk about in the rest of this episode are going to fall to the second round. And for a team, somebody's going to win and, and get a guy that many thought were a lottery pick in the late 20s or early 30s, and somebody's going to pan out. So... But that's why I love the draft because we, we it's, it's it's not an exact science and and you just n- never know what you're going to get out of eighteen and nineteen year olds. Yeah. All right, that leads us to a natural segue to Rock Auto. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Winder often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. They have everything you can need, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com okay can we just Get the other international guy out of the way uh, in our biggest disappointments. Because there was a guy that I also thought was going to be a sleeper. Osmani Jang played in France last year, went over to New Zealand, played for the New Zealand Breakers. And there was red flags. So there was people that were like, oh, remember RJ Hampton? And, and you know, maybe, maybe that's not a good move for him. But, you know, uh, Jang spent some time in L.A. this summer. Uh, playing I saw some- there. Yeah, I'm playing some pickup basketball. Um, I talked to some folks that I I trust that that go and attend these summer things, and this is often the case that you see this. And talked to some players um, who played against him, and and it was pretty positive. Uh, there was a, there was a lot of very positive vibes about this kid being the real deal, and even some people throwing around uh, you know a Paul George esque you know sort of comp. Um, for him we knew he was painfully thin Um, we knew he'd have to get stronger that was a major concern playing in the in the Australian league uh, coming in but uh, man you think you think uh, (laughs) you think um, Zosa got off to a tough start or Patrick Baldwin got off to a tough start Jane couldn't hit anything uh, at, at the start of the season he's played a little bit better um, lately, uh, and you know, luckily he is still getting some minutes, which is which is nice. Uh, but is this just another case where the talent level just couldn't get there, and so you know he gets over into the Australian league and 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 falls flat, or is this a case of a player just being young? This was probably the wrong situation for him. You know, R.J. Hampton isn't lighting up the league, but you know he was better than what he showed in his his time 
you know, in New Zealand. What's your take on Jang right now, and where should he be drafted? Yeah, this is a tough one. I actually saw him play also this summer. I just um, I was in L.A. and I, I went and and one of the guys that I that I knew that was playing, I think Christian Coloco was actually playing these pickup runs, and he told me, he says, "Man, this kid right here," he said, "Man, he's." He, he's going to be special. And his comparison was Michael Porter Jr. And he compared him to pre-back injury Michael Porter Jr. Okay. And Who would have maybe been the number one pick in the draft that he not gotten injured in his yeah. freshman season at, at, yep. at Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the comparison. And so I ended up talking to him. And just a few months prior, as soon as it came out that he was signing with the New Zealand Breakers, R.J. Hampton's dad reached out to me. He says, you know, you're the international guy. Do you know this kid? And I said, no, I don't, I don't know him at all. He says, well, if you have any access to him, let me talk to him because the situation is not going to be a good fit for him. And when I ended up bumping into him, I tried to connect him and and you know RJ his his dad just wanted to basically just kind of let him know that you're going to be standing in the corner a lot and you're probably not going to get a, a lot of opportunities and you know i i could see it on the outside looking in a kid may look at it like well no that was not my problem that was your son's issue my situation is going to be a little bit different and um it it seems like in both cases money was lost by by going to new zealand i think hugo besson is is, is playing well but he's wired to score regardless, in, in a mm. sense. And older. But it just makes and, yeah. He's older, yeah. Got the ball in his hands. But, yes, and that's 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 important. But it's almost like right between Terrence Ferguson to R.J. Hampton to Jang, it's like are guys losing money going to Australia? Has has it? I mean, these situations made agents a little hesitant. I mean, there's another kid. Um, Nikita, I can't pronounce his last name. He's from Russia. He was someone that I was really high on, and I don't think he's really getting a lot or, or helped his situation there. So, I mean, Melo might have just been an outlier of the guys that are playing in the NBL. But Jang is, I mean, the numbers are even worse than Baldwin's in a sense. I mean, below 27% from the floor, like 20% from three. And those numbers have gone up. <laughs> they were actually lower. <laughs> Just like in single ago. digits for a while, uh, which yeah. was people were like, Chad, what in the world are you doing having this guy in your top 30? But I'm like, and this is always the thing for me is that I've been in around the draft a long time. And, and of course, I like everybody when you watch college basketball and you see EJ Liddell do his thing as a, as a junior or Ochayabaji as a senior do his thing. Of course, I'm not saying that that you know a guy like um, Jang is a better basketball player right now than Abaji. But what I am saying is if you took Abaji as a freshman at Kansas and you took Osmani Jang as a freshman at Kansas, which guy would you like better? Right now we know the outcome that Abaji got better over time. And so there is a, a surety to it. But I, I do think that scouts often approach this process with, Am I getting a steal now that I won't be able to get in a couple of years, right? And I think with Poku, for example, the Thunder reached thinking that if he blows up the next year, he's a you know top five pick and we can get him you know, at a different thing. I think the Spurs did that with Josh Primo. They, they took a guy that they thought, thought if Primo goes back to school, maybe he's a top five pick in the draft and we, we can't get him anymore, but let's get him where we're getting him now. And so I, I, I get this and this frustration, like it's so hard to rank a Jang and an Abaji together because they're four years difference. There's way different experience level. And one is actually really good at basketball and one isn't very good at basketball um, right now. And why in the world would you take the guy that isn't very good at basketball over the guy that is very good? And the answer is, well, in three or four years, will he get good and, and better? Um, because Jang has the physical tools uh, you know, size, length, what have you, that, you know, if Abaji had those, he would be, you know, a top five pick in the draft. Yeah, and it's such an interesting dilemma because I think you could say the Spurs did the same thing with DeJounte Murray a few years ago. He had a okay freshman year, and I remember thinking, like, why did he come out? I thought he should have stayed. And then I guess Marquise Chris did the same thing. He didn't have really good numbers. 
But the Spurs gamble on Murray has worked out for them. If he comes back another year, he's probably out of their range because they were actually pretty good at, at that time. And I just wonder, like, you know, for a Abaji, who was not highly recruited, he was not someone that people were looking out for. I think that he only had, like, one high major offer, and that was Kansas. And I read an article once he went there, other schools started recruiting him because they figure he's not going to play, and then he's going to transfer. And I wonder, like, sometimes with guys like that that, that weren't – heralded is there like an extra chip on their shoulder to where you can see the progression while you know Jang he didn't play a lot last year either and it's like he just kind of showed the flashes he didn't have great numbers at INSEP and then you just start hearing lottery pick top 10 pick and then he didn't play for France um, last summer on their under 19 team because he was hurt and so I wonder like has the media put this pressure on him where he has to develop faster than he should have while Abaji had no pressure on him and he has I mean he's done everything that you expect a, a senior to do so it's it's tough and I, I wanted to ask you for for you know with all your years in in the draft and covering the draft has there ever been a time where there's so many prospects that are raw that don't have the production on paper that are being considered as lottery picks where now it's like do, do your stats even matter at this point if you have the physical tools yeah i don't i don't know that they matter for some teams and and look to me this is the art of scouting it's one thing to tell me ochayo baji's good okay i think i don't think you have to be an elite scout to say that he's good he's playing good he's one of the best players in the country like that doesn't take much but to watch a young player when they're young and struggling and see their potential those are the great scouts. Those scouts can see where it's going to go. And it's a risk because it's partly dependent on the player and some other things. But, you know, let me give you like another example. AJ Griffin was off some people's top 30 boards after the start of the season at Duke. Uh, and I think it was in December that I wrote a column about him. He should be a top five pick based off people. Well, there's zero evidence of that sort of at the time other than, again, some progressive scouts saying, look, all the tools are here. Once he gets minutes, this is what he's going to be. I think A.J. Griffin's like top five on almost everybody's board now. But what what changed? Okay, so for some, it's, well, he proved it to me, and now I can do that. And I, I okay, that's that's one level of scouting. But I think there is a level of scouting that, that some of the folks that I talk to in the league, and by the way, I'm not going to tout myself as one of these visionary scouts. It's not. I'm not talking about me right now. I'm just talking about some of the folks that I talk to in the league that, seem to be able to see ahead and they get it wrong sometimes but when they get it right it gives their team a huge advantage and you know Dejounte Murray is so interesting to me because I'd have to go back and look so you know don't hold this against me but I think Dejounte Murray was top 10 on my board on draft night um, and his slide I think had more to do there's definitely some background issues and some questions that sort of came there I also think how Rich Paul handled who was his agent at the time, how he handled his workouts and different things like that, rubbed some teams the wrong way. He was very exclusive about the teams that he would sort of let um, DeJounte Murray work out with or whatever. But the Spurs saw it and and grabbed it. And I remember R.C. Buford, we were like in Israel together sort of afterwards. He's like, what did, what did we miss on this guy? Like, this guy's going to be really good. Like, they're they're so confused when they, they kind of come in and they're, they're in training camp and rookie training camp or whatever. Like, how did this guy slide? So, yeah, th that's the really hard thing in the draft. And, you know, one of the things I did appreciate about your column, Raphael, about Abaji is, you know, that's why Desmond Bain also slid is they're like, oh, he's old. He's got short arms like, you know, he didn't really pop until, you know, his senior year and two two seasons into it, you know, Bain is a really important contributor on one of the best teams in the NBA and uh, and right now it may change over time right now it looks like he should have been a top 10 pick maybe even top five pick um you could you know you could argue um in last year's draft with whether in time that turns out to be true let's see because of his age and other things like that but it goes both ways the bias towards age and seniors can sometimes bite you definitely lots of teams missed on desmond bain and they they shouldn't have and then the reason they missed out was not because they can't gauge talent but because they looked his age 
thought he'd hit a ceiling, wanted to gamble on somebody who was younger and had more upside and what have you. But I also think you can make the mistake of just looking at guys that are where they're at now and missing where they could be down the road. And I think that's a great segue uh, after we do a, a little commercial break. Um, that's a that's a great segue into I think our next topic, which is um, Peyton Watson uh, at UCLA. Uh, but before I do so, uh, I want to talk about our longtime sponsor, Built Bar. And Built Bar, we know they have delicious uh, bars, but they also have puffs. And if you haven't had one of these, you're missing out on one of the best Built Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs are the first ever protein infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They're a treat, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Puffs are a fan favorite with some incredible flavors like yummy, cinnamony, churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. So good. These are going to be your new favorite. All Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Yes, Puffs included. 100% real chocolate, low calorie, high protein. Replace your candy bars with these. They are better. Typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. Go to built.com and scroll down to the macros chart. You'll be blown away. High protein, low calorie, high fiber, low carb. Most built bars contain 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. Mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and new for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. They are delicious. And new flavors are coming out all the time. If you think there's a flavor that might be good, they'll make it. It'll be delicious and it'll be good for you. At Built Bar, they are all about the taste. They make it taste delicious first, then figure out how to make it healthy. And I don't know how, but they pull it off every time. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. I could use a Built Bar right now. I'm starving. <laughs> all right okay take a deep breath we're gonna talk about a couple other guys let's talk about peyton watson another highly ranked recruit out of high school goes to UCLA in this case I think we knew when UCLA kind of brought back this team that he was likely to play a six-man role on this team I think kind of coming into the season we sort of knew that uh, he's the sort of prototypical wing can defend multiple positions can handle the ball a little bit um, people really excited about Peyton Watson he was better than Patrick Baldwin in the under 19s but maybe not like super great He's had a couple of flashes, but one, he's buried on that UCLA bench. He doesn't he doesn't get a lot of run, especially if they're in a tight game or whatever. He's, he's not going to be on the floor. And when he has been on the floor, his rebounding numbers, his defense has been good, but his scoring and, and shooting have been have been really bad. And this is this is the guy I'm curious, Raphael, what you think, because this one, there are scouts probably digging in on him. Uh, staying firm on him more than they are some of these other guys. And I almost wonder if it's because his lack of opportunity still allows you to project uh, with him in ways that if you're just out there and bad, like Patrick Baldwin or, or Caleb Houston or whatever, then it, it's harder to project. Uh, what do you think about Peyton Watson? Well, one, he's playing with effort when he does get an opportunity to play. And I think that helps him out. Um, I, I liked him coming into the season. I thought that he was best with the ball in his hands. I saw him as a guy that, you know, he's a project that you would try to play some minutes at point guard because I didn't think that he shot it well enough to really play off the ball, and he was best with the ball in his hands. But, you know, you see the size, the athleticism. I, I love the motor at the under-19s, even though sometimes it's kind of hard to judge a guy at the under-19s because when you're playing – some of these countries that qualified, they're, the talent is just not even close. So some guys end up looking good in, in you know, garbage minutes, but garbage minutes could be the second quarter. But I, I, I liked what he brought to the table. Um, and it's just a, a tough break for him when uh, the, the UCLA guys came back and he, he goes to a, a team that went to the Final Four. 
So you know the coach isn't going to bench, you know, the guys that just got him to the Final Four. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's someone that if he goes number 15 in the draft, I don't think I'd be too surprised. But if he falls to 35, I don't think I'd be surprised either. And to me, like, this is a weird draft because you have at least five or six guys that I can think of that were highly touted freshmen that could end up falling out of the first round. And then I don't think there's a big gap between picks 15 through 35 either. <laughs> so I think this is going to be a very weird draft. But this is why I, I love this draft so much because there's so many wild cards on top of the fact that you have a guy that hasn't scored a basket. He has as many points and rebounds as me and you combined. <laughs> and he's projected to go in the top 10 in Shaden Sharp. So, um but, I mean, I think Watson, I, I I like what I've seen out of him over Patrick Baldwin Jr. Mm. I think you're right. And this is a this is an example where effort matters. And and you see that there. And, again, I'm, I'm still a believer that if he'd gotten – if he played this poorly and gotten 25 minutes a night and had a bigger role on UCLA, he's probably out of the top 30. But you can excuse some of this – to the situation that he's in and and then project a little bit what if the ball was in his hands what if he wasn't on a team with you know national championship uh you know title considerations would he be better and you know the answer is we don't know but he's going to get into workouts and people are going to see this long athletic versatile guy who can do a lot of different things and have a lot of skill sets and so i think somebody's going to fall in love with him i think he ends up somewhere in the 15 to 25 range uh, on draft night and and you know there'll be college commentators that are going to be like why in the world are we taking this guy like he couldn't even get in on the court for UCLA but that's you know that's uh that's the nature of this one and uh I I'm I'm not convinced that Watson will be a great player but he's intriguing enough to me that um I I certainly would entertain him in that range I think the draft is getting even more complicated than ever before because you have situations like this where, you know, back when I was younger, outside of guys from Europe, I never really saw players that were on draft boards or drafted that didn't average like 15 points per game. You know, it was always you knew these guys were really good college players, and now we have guys that aren't starting in college and not playing major roles on their team, and they're still projected to, to be drafted high. So. I think it's it's the Giannis effect. I I really think that Giannis changed changed the game. It was already there was already things happening that way, but after 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 Giannis, who you know is again in the strong argument to be MVP again, you're just teams are gonna say we can't afford to miss on a guy like that by taking a guy that has a ceiling. So, you know, you don't want to be Danny Ainge and select Kelly Olenek one pick ahead of Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think the Mavericks uh, traded down. If I'm not and, and the Mavericks traded down. I think they took Shane Larkin. I think they, that's who they ended up, ended up with. And, that, you know, that's an, an interesting story as well. We can't recover from a mistake like that, but we can eat a prospect or two that just turns out to not be any good uh i i think is sort of the thinking on that if we if we strike out great but we can't miss on a home run but we can't be drafting a single for and then passing on a potential home run down the road even though most of them won't turn out to be home runs yeah i just love how there's trends you know at one point everybody was trying to draft the next jordan then everybody was trying to draft the next dirk and you saw these guys that were seven foot shooters and then now you know, you're looking for the next Giannis, but I, th I think, like, the part that you can't predict is the mindset. Like, I've read Giannis's book, and he still is plays as if he, and it was a quote in the book, like, what if this is all gone tomorrow? And that's his mindset of playing, like, he's scared to go back to being poor in the streets of Athens. While I think a lot of the, and I don't want to bash, you know, like American kids, but if a, if a guy is a McDonald's All-American, he's been praised and he's been heralded for years and he may not have that same hunger. This may be his first actual disappointment 
playing basketball. And I think that has to, to, to factor in, but... You've just described the premise of Rocky Three. It's the eye of the tiger. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, if we were to pick a prospect out of this draft and, and liken, liken that mindset, not the, not the skill set, Oscar Chibwe of Kentucky plays basketball like it's it, his whole life depends on it. His whole family depends on it. And to a certain extent, if you know his story, the answer is it does. And, uh, and so he does approach the game. In a, in a very different way and why he may end up being the best college basketball rebounder ever uh, because uh, he, he's playing for his family. And, and that makes, that makes a really, you know, big difference uh, for some people. Well, let's, let's, let's wrap with one last guy also played in the under 19s, but played for camp team Canada um, comes to Michigan, Caleb Houston, I think consensus top 10 guy um, in the draft was actually okay for Canada. Probably the guys that we talked about had the best under 19s uh, of of the guys there. Really seemed lost on this Michigan team. It felt like they didn't really know how to use him. Uh, he's actually played pretty well, ironically, since Jawan Howard got suspended uh, from the team. He's like put up multiple 20 point games, and he's now shooting the lights out again. And I, I don't, I don't even know what that's about. It could be completely a fluke. It's a very small very small sample size um, right now, but all of a sudden he's, he's balling in a way that he wasn't before, but there's red flags about Caleb Houston, right? Like who does, who does he defend? He seems a little stiff. Like the explosive athleticism isn't there. If the shot's not going to fall, then what does he do? Um, what, what's your, what's your analysis now, especially now that Caleb Houston has started to have this, this turnaround towards the very end of the season. Yeah, it, it's weird because at one point I want to say he was shooting below 30%, and now it's up to 37%, which is very, you know, it's very respectable. And if you would have been told he's going to shoot 37% from three as a freshman, you would have been like, okay, that's probably worthy of where he was projected to go. He just got off to such a slow start that it may have left a, a sour taste in some people's mouths because, again, he um, – was was so highly regarded coming in but I agree 100% when I watched the film at the under 19s I saw a guy that has a nice body and frame like a high IQ guy someone that you can project as at least a shooter and, and a ball mover but if the shot isn't falling like you said I do not know like what he brings to the table but I think there's a good enough sample size of his shooting that he will project to be a floor spacer and a ball mover. And, um, you know, he's someone that I, I still think could end up as a, as a first-round pick. Yeah, I, I think I think Caleb Houston might very well end up a first-round pick, probably again in that 15 to 25 um, range. And as Raphael said, maybe 15 to 35 is 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 – is negligible about what the difference is there. But then if it's negligible, then the odds probably go towards younger, younger prospects. Uh, final point. I wonder now that John ja Morant has taken over this league. And I don't think there's a more exciting basketball player in the world right now than John ja Morant. And, and the draw that he is, you talk about the copycat league and, you know, we're drafting next Giannis or whatever. I think this has helped Jaden Ivey, uh, I think it's helping Blake Wesley uh, out of uh, Notre Dame right now. These these fast twitch, explosive athletes who can get where they want to um, on the floor and and finish with you know both Jaden Ivey and Blake Wesley just in the last week have like incredible uh, dunks. I don't think anybody's John Morant and and I I think the thing both of those guys la- lack is that I think people underestimated how good Morant is as a, as a passer and as a, as a lead point guard and a floor general. He's not just an explosive dunker in, 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 in the front court. But I, I think that, that I think Jaws' ascension this year is helping those two guys. And I think, both, I think, I think this is why I still think Ivy may end up being the, the number two pick in the draft and why I, I think um, Blake Wesley is going to be a lottery pick. And that's why I'm high on J.D. Davison. I think that he is that caliber of an athlete. He's also in a situation not exactly like Peyton Watson's, but he's 
playing more minutes and, and has a bigger role, but he's a phenomenal athlete. And when he does play, he fills up the stat sheet. You know, he gets rebounds and assists. The jumper isn't necessarily there because I think he's more of a scorer than, like, point guard. But I I like him just because I think with NBA spacing, with that athleticism, he's going to be – I think he's going to be really good. But I like the comparison between Ja Morant and Blake Wesley. And one of the things that I see they have in common is – these weren't like McDonald's All-Americans. They weren't like super highly regarded. So there's this chip on their shoulder. It's still a little bit of I need to prove myself. And I think that plays a huge role in, in, in the motor and, and just the determination because Blake Wesley, I don't think, was a top 50 recruit. <laughs> he was not on anybody's draft boards coming into this season. And... And I, I had this conversation with my brother. I think, like, if you go through, like, some of the top 10 players in the NBA, how many were highly – how many, like, you know, between Embiid to Jokic to Giannis? I mean, these weren't guys that were highly regarded coming out. But that – Ja Morant is on that list. I mean, of course you got your Durants and, you know, your LeBrons. But I'd say it might be 50-50 between guys that were, like, super highly regarded to guys that weren't on anybody's radar – and uh, I, I see a little bit of that in Blake Wesley. I do too. I'm 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 all in. I just watched uh, the game against uh, Florida State, uh, and just you know, you also look at the personnel around him. It, the, you know, this Notre Dame team isn't that talented uh, of, of a team, but you know, you've got a freshman, one of the younger freshmen in the draft, really coming out and doing. Uh, things he makes a lot of mistakes and people can harp on that and you know his shooting percentages fluctuated a little bit but when you see what he's trying to do and how much he carries on that team every night especially for, like you said for a guy that didn't come in with that expectation it's uh it, it's phenomenal and um and i love and i i love 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 and you know this this goes to some of the guys that that we've been talking about have been disappointment when you have that fire in your belly uh saw it again with jabari smith uh, and Auburn against Mississippi State uh, on on Wednesday night wants to take over the game, believes that he can take over the game. Bruce Pearl talking about uh, him after the game. The thing that he just loves about him is that he he's at, he's tough and he's gonna go out there and try to win um, every night. Um, I see that with Jaden Ivey um, and the way that he attacks and the attitude that he has, you know, all, all the time of trying to kill. I see that with Blake Wesley. Um, it, it's a it's a great quality um, to have because there's something churning and driving these guys um, besides just making lots of money and, and 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 being a star. Yeah, that's the hardest thing to predict. I had a friend that played in the NBA and he was working out. He says, "Man, you know how hard it is to work out this hard when I can be anywhere I want to be in the world in the next 24 hours." And I never looked at it. And then I heard C.J. McCollum say something about. He he asked somebody, I think maybe been Dame Lillard, like, do you, do you ever feel like we're too rich to be pushing ourselves like this? But that's what you can't predict as a scout. I mean, there may be signs, but you just don't know how an 18-year-old is going to react to having millions in their bank account. And no other, I mean, outside of entertainment, no other company is giving 18-year-olds that amount of money and your job depends on how well a teenager does yeah, for, your, that. for your business. Well, the other part that you just brought up is that, again, I just don't think fans, unless you're around the game and around the players, understand the amount of work that these players put into being great. Um, the amount of time and energy and sacrifice that they put in to be great uh, is way exceeds what most of us do at our jobs um, every day. And people say, oh, they're making so much money and they get to go out and play basketball. They have no idea uh, what some of these players are doing on a day-to-day -day basis to become great and, and what it takes to have that level of dedication and greatness. And I think it's one of the biggest things that we miss with these players, that the great players in the NBA aren't just great because they have some physical tools or they have a particular skill set. They also have incredible work ethics. They also have incredible drive. And it's consistent, like you said, over and over, even when that money's rolling in and even when they don't necessarily need to be that 
anymore. There's something fueling them to continue to be great. And it's, it's one of the reasons that I just deeply admire um, NBA players and, and think that fans who dog on them got it all wrong when they think about, oh, wouldn't it be so nice to, to be an NBA player? Most people do not have the level of commitment um, or drive uh, to put in the work that most of these people put in um, every day to be, to be great. Um, and I and deeply admire it. Yeah, the, I, I tell people I, I've always been a Giannis fan because he was an underdog. But if you ever get a chance to go to a Bucks game, and if you get there at five o'clock, he is going through this crazy workout that looks exactly like his game. He has the the assistant coaches with the pads. They're beating him up. He's driving. He's retreat dribbling. And he's just dunking on them, but they're just fouling him and just beating him up the whole time. And I remember thinking, like, there's no way he's going to have enough left for a game. And he comes out and he plays the exact same way he he worked out. And that's the reason he is who he is. I mean, he's the jump that he made. I mean, he's passed almost everybody in the world in, in a matter of, like, I don't know five to seven years and so you know if everybody had his work ethic i mean that's kind of impossible because he's just on the it's like borderlines insanity it, it is and it's uh it's great speaking of great work ethics rafael barlow always working it been in serbia already uh since our last podcast and now in italy uh, continuing to go and track down those great prospects. Make sure you go over and subscribe to NBABigBoard.com and read Raphael's awesome video breakdowns, and he's publishing multiple times a week. Uh, and it's uh, it's getting to be time, man. We're going to get to conference tournaments next week, then March Madness. I got another big board uh, heading your way next week uh, as well as we'll, once the college basketball regular season is sort of over, we're going to re-rank all these guys coming into March Madness, and, and then we'll see what happens after March Madness. Always one or two guys that are going to like blow up and, and jump up the list. And I never feel good about it, but it is, it is what it is. And the recency bias always uh, digs in. So stay safe, Raphael. Joe, Joe Alexander. Chow? Oh yeah. Joe Alexander. Okay. I thought you were saying chow <laughs> to me. I thought was, uh, Yeah. No, I just, when you talked about guys that just make the jump and that's one of the guys that came to mind, I think Joe was the eighth pick because he had such a great tournament run and, Johnny Juzang almost did it last year. Thought he was going to ride it maybe into the first round, uh, and and then I think the combine sort of put, brought him back down to earth a little bit. All right, man, we'll be watching, and uh, we'll be back next week with more uh, draft analysis as we get ready for the NCAA tournament, one of my favorite times of the year. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. <laughs>